welcome to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. On this show, we feature different programs, individuals, and initiatives focused on being more inclusive of individual needs. We invite you to learn right alongside us. If you want some additional resources or access to our courses, please visit our website or follow us on social media. But for right now, let's get right to the episode. Coming up next on the Assembly Inclusion podcast. They are the best representatives of why inclusion elevates everyone. We really believe and we see it all the time. We have that experience every time we have a class with the children that everyone is transformed. Audience, the children, the partners. We are opened up in really beautiful ways when we practice inclusion. How can we make dance more accessible and inclusive? That's something the National Dance Institute has been working on through their dream project. I had the pleasure of talking to Agnes McConnellog Farrow and Kay Gaynor, who are part of the Dream Project, and we talked about all the incredible work being done. Dream, as we'll hear from Agnes and Kay later in this episode, focuses on bringing together children with disabilities to perform dance alongside their peers. The program pairs creativity and expression with inclusivity by giving everyone the opportunity and joy of performing dance. So let's dive right in to learn more about it. Hello, and welcome back to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. I'm here today with Agnes McCallog Farrow and Kay Gaynor from the Dream Project at National Dance Institute. So Agnes and Kay, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having us. We're delighted. (laughs) So to start off, can you just explain the mission behind the Dream Project, what it stands for, what its overall goal is? The DREAM Project is a lovely acronym for Dancers Realize Excellence Through Arts and Movement. And our belief at National Dance Institute, particularly with the DREAM Project, is that everyone can dance. The mission, in a nutshell, behind our beloved DREAM Project is that everyone can and should have access and equitable, inclusive opportunities. Nothing says this better, as we have seen firsthand, than an authentically inclusive environment of a wide variety of abilities in one room of children supporting one another. So we're really, really lucky to be part of that. I would just add that at NDI overall, we believe that the arts are an essential part of every child's education, that the arts are part of what make us citizens of the world and full human beings. So creating opportunities for every child on the planet to have an immersive participatory opportunity to be in the arts and performance, we all benefit from that. So before we dive into the logistics of the program and how it works and how it's beneficial, Would you both mind just describing a little bit about your backgrounds and what inspired you to become a part of this program? I am a pediatric physical therapist. I had a dance background. I started dancing in my mid-teen years, so not a full-fledged, lifelong dancer per se, but I had a dance background, became a physical therapist, started working in pediatrics for the New York City Board of Education, and was assigned to a school at PS199 for children from all five boroughs. Anyway, in comes 
Jacques D'Amboise. And so the program began. So I'll talk a little bit more about that. But my background is I'm a board certified pediatric physical therapist. I am on faculty at Stony Brook University. I'm a clinical associate professor, and I am currently pursuing my PhD. The entire project is all because of DREAM and the impact that we've seen and exploring a little bit deeper. What is impactful? How do the children both the age match peers, which is how we refer to what people normally think of as typically developing, quote unquote. So we refer to those children as age match peers, and then a child with any type of developmental uh, diagnosis. And their parents, their families, what are their perspectives? So that's my background. And the why did I want to be part of this or the inspiration will 100% go back to the children and to Jacques D'Amboise, who is the founder of National Dance Institute. It's so amazing sometimes to think about it because people will always associate him with National Dance Institute. Obviously, he started it and with New York City Ballet, such a gifted, talented dancer. But often the arrow doesn't point to the field of physical therapy. And from firsthand experience, this has really been changing as far as the practice and inclusion of children with a wide variety of ability. I am currently the artistic director of National Dance Institute, as well as co-founder and co-director of the Dream Project. My background is as a dancer, actor, singer, performer. I began performing professionally when I was 14 years old in summer stock and all different kinds of dance, but always had an interest in working with children with disabilities. And when I moved to New York, my very first job was at National Dance Institute. I was Jacques' assistant way, way, way back in the day for about three years and went with him everywhere he went, including he even then, that's this would have been back in the 80s, the late 80s. And even then there was a program for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. And I was with Jacques when he started a program at what was then called the Lighthouse, which had classes for children with visual impairment and loved it and loved the way Jacques approached teaching. We have the NDI method that we call now, which are teaching practices and a philosophy that starts with everyone can dance, but the teaching techniques are designed to grab children by the imagination and get them excited about dance and about the arts and, and persuade them to fall in love with the arts through experiences. So that was when I first moved to New York and then I left NDI for a bit to be a performer, to have a career, and then circled back in 2000 to begin teaching for NDI. I've been teaching for NDI for 20, two years, I guess it is now, and choreographing and directing performances. I run programs in China and Lebanon, and Aggie and I created the Dream Project together. So that's another piece of how we got involved in this, but that seems like the next chapter of the story. <laughs> well, thank you so much, both of you, for sharing a little bit about your backgrounds. And it's interesting to see that there's a lot of overlap between both of your stories, but then there's also unique experiences that you both have that I'm sure are beneficial when you're working together to kind of make this project come to life. So can you explain like the structure of the dream project? I think I remember reading online that there's two programs held annually, if I remember correctly. How long did the programs typically last and what does that usually look like? Just to add, to circle back to the previous question, I will add that I met Aggie at PS199. I worked for NDI at PS199 back when there was, we used to call it Special Forces, now it's called Supernovas, the program there. But she and I first started collaborating there in the early 2000s, I think, right, Aggie? Pretty much right when I started back at NDI. And then 
developed dream together once we had the center up here in Harlem at NDI. So yes, we run two workshops every year, one in August for a week long. It's typically three hours every day for the week. Pre-pandemic, we had a morning and afternoon session. We were beginning to have advanced level and beginner level, for lack of a better word. And so the children come every day. They work in partnership, children with a diagnosis with their age-matched peers. And we have a warm-up and we teach choreography and we have live music. So there is for every class, Aggie and me. So there's a physical therapist and a dance teaching artist choreographer and a live musician. We have the classes with live music and typically Aggie has a group of PT students. Maybe you can talk Aggie about that. It's a joyful week long program that ends in a public performance at one o'clock on Friday. We bring in an audience of families and the NDI community and the community up here in Harlem to come and see. It's always quite stunning what they're able to accomplish in such a short time. So that happens in August. And then again, February, New York's public schools have a February winter break. And so our second one happens during that time with pretty much the same format. And I'll just add that during the pandemic, we pivoted almost immediately to teaching classes on Zoom because we wanted to stay connected to the children. And we began a weekly after-school class on Zoom and also had the workshops via Zoom. But now that we're returning to more in-person teaching, the workshops are in-person, but we have continued having that after-school class on Zoom because it opened up a new world to create more access because there are some children who participate in that who would, would not be able to come to the NDI Center in Harlem. So there's the two workshops and then there are additionally three sessions of after-school classes throughout the year. The only thing that I'll sort of expand on is that as a professor on faculty at Stony Brook, I always have students, I believe in it as a catalyst for how we practice. Inclusivity takes a village, you know, we're part of that, that village. And I think that that's really important. So the opportunity to share this with the physical therapy students is exquisitely important to me because I really see that as the part going forward. And then we have teaching artists at NDI who have almost from the beginning expressed an interest in being part of and learning. That's part of dream that we don't perhaps highlight enough is that we see this as an opportunity for moving forward with inclusion. My hope with including the PT students is if they move back to wherever, you know, we have students from Hawaii, we have students from all that when they go back to the their communities, wherever that is, that they're bringing this as the planting seed of, okay, well, I'm not interested in dance, but maybe what I can do is start an inclusive program for children because I really love, you know, jujitsu or soccer or whatever it is that this is really the planting field for that. This is much more than just a dance class. I say it all the time, but we believe it and we really try and act on it as well. I can see that just based on both of your responses, how much commitment there is to the inclusion piece of it. And I like the fact that that's true, that somebody could go back and bring just the message of inclusion into their own practice somewhere else, whether it's from being a part of the experience or from just viewing the experience, that message of inclusion kind of stays. I just want to add on to that too and say that part of the, the learning curve as far as inclusion is concerned is that we thought the checkered flag, the finish line was the dream project at National Dance Institute. And it turned out that one of the children who traveled three hours one way to take part in this inclusive class went back to her sister's dancing school and her mom showed the video of the performance 
And the teacher owner said, now I get it. Now I can see where we can take this. So that's the checkered flag. It really was such a shift for us. Oh, wait a minute. This is where we plant the seed. But really, even the children and their families are, are bringing this back to their own community. And so it's really assembling inclusion is really bringing it back to everybody's individual community and their lives. That's really great that they were able to bring that back and start kind of that up at a more local location for them. That's really amazing. Giving them the microphone too, in a way, so that they are becoming advocates for themselves in the world of NDI. We're listening to them more and more. And I mean, not that we didn't before, but we are really letting them tell us how to teach and how to be better. And then they're going out into their communities also and spreading the word better. They are the best representatives of why inclusion elevates everyone. We really believe and we see it all the time. We have that experience every time we have a class with the children that everyone is transformed. Audience, the children, the partners, we are opened up in really beautiful ways when we practice inclusion. That's really awesome that you're making sure that they're owning their own voice and their own experience within this program and making sure that their voices are heard. So I saw in one interview that some of the challenges that the dancers face can become, I think the word was springboards for creativity within the dances themselves. So what are some examples of how the program has allowed students to perform dance moves using their own and taking advantage of it, leveraging on their own unique abilities and skills? I will say that, you know, sometimes when we say we're holistically inclusive, it's really important to stress that this is not diagnostic specific. So I really, I really need to stress that. So somebody could be listening and saying to themselves, well, in order to dance, you need to stand, walk, understand, speak, see. And for us, what ended up happening from the very first, even from when we were at PS199, that is absolutely not the case. What matters is, does that child want to be there? Are they trying to express themselves? We go back to one girl in particular, and she was really expressive with her eyebrows. You know, so up high was yes, and frowning was no. And then sometimes she would sort of move them really quick and the most expressive, particularly around her eyes. And so I ran up into this sort of bleacher type seating and I ran to the top and I could see that where she was in the studio space down on the dance floor, I could see from back there, I could still recognize. And so I called down to Kay who then took that and that became a huge dance where her partners came around her and then it was just this incredible movement experience that was really, really wonderful. So that's the springboard. That was the mobility that she had independently that nobody else needed to help her or assist her with. That was hers. She owned that. It was an autonomous movement. It was absolutely hers. And then being able to incorporate others. So now they're doing her movement. That's probably the best example that I have of that springboard effect. I would add, when you think about somebody who uses an assistive device, like a wheelchair, starting the choreography by looking at what are the qualities. When a dancer who is a motorized wheelchair user moves forward, she glides through space. So what choreography can we create that's inspired by gliding? And we create choreography for her first that really amplifies those movement qualities and then create translations for all the other dancers in the room that share the intention or the dynamic quality of that movement. It's a 
cool thing thinking too like if you're a motorized wheelchair user what can we do that you wouldn't be able to do without that assistive device we just had a, a big performance in june and one of our amazing dancers avery who's a motorized wheelchair user was the star of one of the dances and we had rolling chairs there was a moment or there were two moments in the dance where the three the avery's chair and the two dancers who used rolling chairs just like desk office rolling chairs you know did this big circle turning thing where it was all initiated by avery's movement so there are things you literally can do with an assistive device vaulting you know off of a gate trainer that can be incorporated that really really highlight the particular unique kinds of movement qualities that are available for somebody who uses an assistive device that was really what stood out to me about this program when I was initially looking into it was I was watching some of the videos from the recordings from past shows and performances and just the fact that you're not expecting people to fit into a certain mold and take like looking at them as an individual and based on both of those examples, seeing what their skills are, their strengths are, what they could bring to the table and funding them with things that support and, you know, elevate their skills which I thought was really powerful. I'm gonna make sure to link to those performances as well in the show notes so people can take advantage and kind of take a look at what those performances look like because they were really interesting to watch. So you kind of talked about it a little bit, both of you addressed it a little bit, but based on your experiences with the program, what are some examples of how this program has been really successful for some of the participants, whether it is the person with the diagnosis or their peers, what have been some of those benefits and successes? I'm living, breathing, eating it in the most delightful, wonderful of ways. But when you're talking about impact, you can see it's one of those things. What's his name? Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? When he right in the room where it happens, <laughs> in the room where it happens. Sometimes I feel that no matter how expressive you are, you know, that when you're looking at it in totality, when you're watching that whole group and seeing the child who was just really unable to partake in all of the dance, but with the age match peers, with the performance, with the parents or the family sitting in the audience, with the support from every single person in that room, they blossom to the point that you can't help but be you know, moved or amazed, or where do we take this next? And where does this go to next for this incredible group of children? But the impact that, you know, obviously I'm in the middle of, of writing all of this up. I have been surprised. I have been in every single dream. I have the co-creator of this program and what I'm reading about what parents perceive as impactful in the parent focus group. Typically you sort of give guiding prompting questions. I just said, hello. <laughs> and then the rest of it, they just ran with it because it's so important to them that they wanted to share their voice and what is impactful to their children, no matter the level of diagnosis, right? So no matter if the diagnosis was a child who identifies as autistic or is their child who, like Kay was just describing, somebody who has physical limitations that are visible. So what might be important could be very, very different. And what is very exciting to me is that even though they may be very different, they boil down to just a few main points. And that is opportunity, inclusion, and this autonomous chance to shine. We always say, what do you bring to the table? We're going to augment that. That's what we're taking. And that's what we're building off of and translating for the whole group. It isn't fitting, you know, a parent has said something like, 
You're not trying to take a square peg and fit it into a round hole. It is all equal. And I think that that's important to recognize. So impact of inclusion is also impact of opportunity when it's done right. It's something that can't be said enough. And I'll just add to that, that in the process of creating a dance performance together, one of the key things that we're doing is creating the relationships among the dancers and teaching them how to interact, giving them tools and skills for how to interact with each other meaningfully. And they become deep friends, you know, by day three, if not day two, they are fast friends and they understand each other and they're collaborating. Part of it is we give them the skills to create their own translations, partnership by partnership. I think the children without disabilities are every bit as much transformed and come back again and again and fall in love with their partners. There's a lifelong change in that because they now have those tools and know how to approach and connect with people of all kinds. I've seen just as many of the dancers without disabilities, you know, again, almost what does that even mean? But the age-matched peers also be transformed by being in a position where being in a room where everybody is celebrated for their own unique qualities. Some children who are shy or struggling a little bit in other contexts suddenly really blossom in this context because it really is there in the room that they are celebrated exactly as they are. Yes, we build skills. Yes, we push them to the growing edge, everybody. But there is also like this real acceptance and this real like we have each other's backs and we're in it together. Being in a position to be able to help and be a partner and really learn what partnership feels like is transformative to all of the children and to us. Too. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons Aggie and I love collaborating and can finish each other's sentences now. <laughs> you know, there's deep beauty in that kind of connection. I'm just going to tag on to that because I think what ends up happening is that the children are transformed, every single child. So now when they go back to their school, and it's really the hope, a big hope of many of the parents too, is that this will transform their ability to interact. And, and we've seen it firsthand. So even when we were at PS199, you know, I'd be out at recess and I would see sort of those interactions yeah. and supports. I think that that's important to highlight is that as Kay was alluding to before, sort of saying, I want to hear from you. I want you to tell me what you need and tell me even something as simple as how do you want me to help you transfer out of the chair? Talk me through what that might feel like. Then having parents and family saying that was the moment that she then realized she had a voice to say going out into another situation, a doctor's office visit or something like that, that no, 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 could I just sit here as you do? So I come back to, even though it's a dance class, even though you may be at a site where you're doing inclusion, the power of inclusion does not stay within those walls. The power of inclusion really goes beyond the walls. That's how you know you're doing it right, is when it goes to be beyond whatever walls you're in, in the classroom, you know, in a studio. When it goes beyond the walls, that's the power of inclusion. And I'm including the audience. I think one of the things we love about the performances is that it transforms an audience's idea of what dance can and should look like in the world. And that's powerful too. I really could see how this project really embodies the full message of inclusion, that everyone, everyone's benefiting from it. And I appreciate you both sharing how this experience has been so beneficial for all the parties that are involved. 
And I just want to thank you both, Agnes and Kay, for being here with us today and for telling us all about the Dream Project at National Dance Institute. Thank you so much for sharing all that information. Thank you for thank you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> thank you very, very much. What a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Assembling Inclusion podcast. I hope the information in this episode taught you something new, gave you a new idea, or showcased a new perspective. If you liked the episode, feel free to leave us a review or comment. If you have a recommendation for an individual or an organization who would make a great guest, you can message us on Twitter or Instagram or send us an email at assemblinginclusion at gmail.com. See you next time.